Hello, I'm AT. Welcome to the Bulldog Gear podcast, where we aim to open up conversations and create discussions around the practical habits, ethos, and philosophies of the most successful people in our industry. Here, we will endeavor to identify, unpack, and discuss the actions and habits of fiercely successful individuals in and around the fitness space in an attempt to create clear, actionable philosophies for you guys to experiment with and implement on your own journey of self-improvement. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Bulldog Gear podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Nicole Vignola. Nicole is a neuroscientist and coach who works with individuals and businesses, consulting on brain health, longevity, mindset change, and optimizing all of the above using science and evidence-based techniques. We had a great chat talking about everything from sleep, mindfulness, dopamine and negative thought patterns. There's definitely a lot to chew over here and I sincerely hope that some of it is stuff that you can put into immediate action in your everyday life. Enjoy. Hey Nick, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to seeing where this this conversation goes. I'm very interested in the work you do, and I find you, uh, particularly on social media, um, a resource I go to very, very often, and that leads me in loads of core directions of sort of exploration in my own, uh, you know, citizen scientist sort of research, and oh, so many interesting things I, I've picked up from yeah. you or have sort of answered questions I sometimes didn't even know I had or. I'm like, oh, I've just taken for granted. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Um, yeah. For anyone listening who, who's not aware of you, Nick, I wonder if you could give us a sort of brief potted history on, on yourself and um, the sort of subject matters that you, that you work in that we're going to discuss today. Yeah, so I studied neuroscience. Um, I was doing research in synaptic plasticity, which sort of, uh, I guess, exhumed my interest in change and the way that humans can change. Uh, that was really interesting and I loved it. Um, however, it was all sort of mice, a lot of sort of very neuroscientific research. And I wanted to work uh, or at least sort of delve more into people. So I did my master's in organizational psychology so that I could work in organizations in delivering, I guess, the neuroscience because there's a huge movement around mental health. And um, I've been working as a PT for 12 years, but there's not that much sort of data attached to, you know, these, these notions. And I think corporates are being brushed with this paintbrush or broad brush um, with mental health, you know, go for a walk and meditate and it's great. But once you attach sort of science and data and mechanisms to it, people really start resonating with it. And that's when they really want to then instill change in their own lives by their own means and ways rather than because someone told them to. So I started closing in the gap between corporates and neuroscience and then found myself coaching people as well now. So now I'm doing sort of one-to-one coaching with individuals, uh, students, uh, high-performing individuals. So yeah, that's me. I just marry neuroscience and people, the masses. <laughs> uh, from that, from what you've just said there, do you, do you think there's a big disconnect between the, the kind of anecdotal um, tools and advice that, that people are given uh, in terms of their their mental and physical health and well being, and the oh no, let's say let's say particularly the mental health aspect, because I I think that maybe the the barrier is breached a little bit more with physical health. But do you think there's a little bit of disconnect between those sort of anecdotal and general advice that's sort of dished out, given out, and the metrics and the data and the the research behind? 
Oh, that's quite hard because one, I'm constantly in neuroscience. So I'm always seeing it from one perspective, mm. but I, I have seen that there's a lot of sort of, again, like I said earlier, talk around mental health and mindfulness meditation, and that's all great, but there's, I don't think people truly understand the mechanisms behind it. So to answer your question, I would say yes and no. It depends where you're looking, right? Because I think neuroscience right now, especially, is becoming very big. I think Dr. Andrew Huberman has made, done a fantastic job of making neuroscience accessible to people as well. So I guess it depends where, you, where you're looking, which is something I always say. It depends who you're following on your Instagram. It depends what you're ingesting, if you will. Um, if you want to look at that food wise as well, but in theory, what you're looking at, what you're reading, what you're immersing yourself in as well. So I think it's really hard to answer that question because I'm biased. I've been in the neuroscience side for a while now. So I see it with one perspective. So, but I I can imagine that I've definitely seen it in corporates and I've definitely seen it sort of around people that don't truly understand um, the movement or, or mental health per se. There's a lot of you know, we need to work on our mental health, but not loads of people know how to work on the mental yeah. health. You know, there's, this is what you should do, but there's no solution. And that's what I endeavor to do in almost all my posts is, you know, say X, Y, Z, but here is a solution and, and do my best to try and help people with a solution to the problem. So yeah. I hope that so, answers your question. No, 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 it doesn't. I, I, I completely, um, completely resonate with what you're saying about it's easy to be siloed isn't it and uh there's a direct analogy probably here with with um you know uh strength training or resistance training whatever it is in that it's very easy to get to thinking oh you know everyone knows that now or that's kind of gem pops level of information but sometimes if you do take that step back you go oh okay it's not quite where i thought it was and it can be very easy to um yeah, I think there's a direct analogy there. Like you say, we would give out very open-ended, expansive advice and then yeah. not necessarily follow it up with the whys or the hows. Yeah. And um, I think without those, people can either get a little bit lost or they're just disengaged. Uh, I think particularly of mental health, yeah. some of the advice that is so powerful and I would live by and do live by, but I can see how it's cliched and disengaging for people who don't necessarily have the um it sometimes it almost seems a little bit woo-woo and esoteric even though that yeah. even though these are things you can completely yeah. you know back up and and see the data for is that is that something you would uh, agree with particularly in the, the yeah. space of say mindfulness and exercise and mental health and stuff like that 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. so i use buzzwords like optimized and uh nsdr instead of a meditation i mean it's an nsdr is a meditation but when i go into corporates especially people that work in like sort of business consulting or finance when i use words like nsdr they're like oh my god and i try not to make it complicated but it is essentially meditation but i think that people talk about meditation so much that it's almost become confusing for society i don't know if you can agree with me but they almost get caught up on what they should be doing. And all I want for my clients is for 10 minutes a day in the middle of the day is to just switch off their phones, not pay attention to anything except for themselves. Because how often do you turn in, tune in with yourself on a daily basis uh, in the middle of your day? Probably, probably never, right? Or unless you're, we, we have so much external force that is influencing us, especially nowadays with um, telephones and you know social media and emails, et cetera that you don't often go in and normally what that manifests itself in is 
people going to sleep or going to bed or coming home and then being really stressed. They haven't tuned in with themselves. So they're carrying on this knock-on effect of the daily stresses into their homes or into their beds and then sort of lying in bed, ruminating. Um, so something as simple as just sitting down 10 minutes, just not thinking about anything, not engaging in your phone can all already be so valuable. And going back to your question, just calling it a non-sleep deep breath, people are like, oh, that's really simple now. You know, yeah. meditation's great. I, I do, I meditate loads, but you know, I can appreciate that, you know, I'm being general, I'm, you know, I'm generalizing now, but maybe some banker from, I don't know, London was not going to want to meditate unless, you know, you give them the science behind it. I, again, that's a generalization, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt is that, that old adage of meeting people where they are, isn't it? And, uh, like yeah. if you have to say non-sleep deep rest nsdr instead of yoga nidra i think it's like that's uh yeah powerful yeah there's plenty of reframes we can do and i think the people who choose not to do the reframes that uh, i think often that comes from a a place of ego and not wanting to you know wanting to almost gatekeep yeah their, their thing um what what i find really interesting in the in the place of in the space of meditation is yeah i think it's i think it can be particularly disengaging for people because of the esoteric religious spiritual philosophical connotations that comes with it yeah. but actually when you if you do take the deep dive and go even go that way even go down the path of the spiritual esoteric blah 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 yeah. connotations you actually get to a place where there aren't many you know like zen buddhism there's no real spiritual connotations in fact you're you're almost admonished for thinking too much. The idea is that, you know, it's not to have any spiritual connotations. It is just to sit. You know, that's what Zazen is. It's just sitting and being, and there's no strife or struggle in it. And it's almost as though somewhere in the middle, probably in the West and probably on a great big capitalist ship, other stuff's been heaped on uh, that then puts people off. But yeah, if you can pierce through that by, using terms like and you've got to use the terms that appeal to people right like oh we're just going to down regulate people are very scientifically minded and we're just going to down regulate we're just going to do some breath work with yeah Yeah. we're just going to um you know lower the activity in your prefrontal cortex when all you're asking people to do is just sit and pay attention to their breath uh, yeah i think that's such a such a good and interesting point that that's the language we need to be using right yeah it is it's a little bit you know, I guess, I guess it's fine, but you know, um, I was talking about this the other day and, uh, you know, chakras, for example, they discovered that they mitochondrial densities or areas of mitochondrial densities. So now people are starting to believe that actually chakras are real, you know, but I think that's a very Western thing where we have to sort of prove everything before we can believe it rather than just going instinctively on how we feel as well, which is something that I am so deeply want to try and teach people is to learn how to, they feel and i think that resonates with you because you you did a post on um going about how you feel but then you explain how it's so hard because you don't people don't know how to how mm. to feel um i don't know if you remember that post but i think that's really important because we listening to our bodies can be so hard when you when you're not in tune with yourself and i think even just sitting down for 10 minutes with yourself once a day can already start sort of helping you reach this journey of like you know friendship with oneself as i like to call it yeah, you have to make your mind your best friend, right? Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, the the <laughs> whole concept of listening to your body is so uh, it's such a difficult, tricky one. Is I know exactly the the 
the sort of, or roughly the, I talk about, I'm like beating a dead horse with that, talking about that sort of thing. So, but I think I know what you mean that I'd said, but listening to your body is great, but you have to sort of learn a language first, right? And something as simple as sitting for 10 minutes. Well, if you were to, let's not say listen to your body, but listen to your experience, that's going to be very wildly uncomfortable for some people, the idea of sitting alone with their thoughts for 10 minutes. But actually that discomfort's probably telling you that this is something you need to be doing as opposed to stop. And it's it's a case of like, listen to your body, but uh, you know, one plus one doesn't always equal two in terms of you need to, you need to learn how to translate that properly, right? Before you can accurately act upon it. Yeah. And understand that, you know, there's going to be uncomfortable discomfort in sitting with yourself for a little bit, you know, maybe until you learn how to deal with whatever thoughts and emotions you're going through. Um, and it's actually interesting because I have loads of clients that always complain about, they don't complain. They always say that they work a lot and it's because, so your central executive network is essentially your working network, your higher order thinking, cognitively demanding tasks, problem solving, right? Then you have the default mode network. Your default mode network is the opposite. So that is, what are you thinking about when you're not thinking about anything? Daydreaming, um, autobiographical memories, thinking about the past and the future. So that kind of mindset you go into when you're washing the dishes, your mind's just going, right? But they can't be active at the same time. So people that work, 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 because they don't want to sit with their emotions. That's a real thing. It's because they don't want to tap into that default mode network and sift out all of the things that do need to come out. So it's easy to just put a little pad over it and pretend it doesn't exist until it just sort of starts simmering so much that you then got this like can of worms. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. I was having this conversation with somebody earlier who's going through a tough time and they were talking about, you know, the, the, the textbook advice of keep yourself busy keep yourself busy, yeah. keep yourself busy. And I, I said, it's, that's fantastic. And I'm really, really uh, kind of uh, glad that that's helping. And, but, you know, don't get caught off guard by yeah. plastering over it for so long that yeah. you kind of start to feel as though all of this has gone away. And then when you do come down from that place of busy, busy, distracted, distracted, it's all still there. And then you've kind of gone asymmetry and where you thought you were at and where you're actually still at because you haven't taken the time to sit with the, the you know the default mode network and and see what's yeah. going on back there right it's and then like usually more. you get ill yes. sorry i was going to say yes. normally you get ill as well so then you know you've got flu on top of that because your immune system's compromised because you've just been in sort of work mode the whole time and now you've got this like sort of double whammy of bad mental health and you're like physically ill yeah, yeah. I think we saw a lot of that compound um, over the last few years with uh, with COVID-19 and a, a kind of perfect storm of uh, events of isolation and loneliness and poor physical health and poor mental health. But people suddenly having to get off the Ferris wheel of distraction yeah. um, and getting hit really hard with, and I, you know, I can speak personally here, getting hit really hard with a sudden inability to stay distracted coupled with poor physical health from, you know, illness, having, you know, having COVID and that isolation of, and you, I, I kind of always liken it to sort of a Russian doll situation where you are, you know, you, 
without getting too hard going too hard in the paint here but we have this illusion of self and we're, we're self and object and subject and we're trapped and we end our skin such as it is and we're just a little homunculus driving around <laughs> our bodies having this experience but then if you then put that little russian doll inside the bigger russian doll of you can't leave your house and the bigger russian doll of you can't leave your country to go on holiday and yeah. that was kind of a a recipe for um a recipe it was a real ticking time bomb and i still don't think we're really out the back end of it i think we're right. still going to see the 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 sort of wash up of this over the next few years right yeah i probably i mean my social battery at the moment is just completely gone i mean i i, I was already sort of winding down as it was but i went to london on friday for my birthday and i was just like oh my god i'm so tired <laughs> i just want to go home <laughs> Um, so I don't know if you feel the same, but yeah, uh, isolation and loneliness is sort of like one of, uh, I put it up now, one of the number one killers. Um, social connection is so profoundly important for the human psyche that I think what COVID did as well is, is, yeah. And I think I feel bad for people that were in real loneliness and didn't have the opportunity to either spend time with their partners or, you know, as much as we want to I joke around and George and I had to spend 15 days in the quarantine in a hotel room together. <laughs> um, but actually in hindsight, it was quite nice. It was quite fun. We got to do that. It was, but yeah, it's, yeah. Do you, do you think there's an argument and I want to get into some real actionable stuff in a minute, but do you think there's an argument for, for kind of preempting and practicing that loneliness is the wrong phrase, but uh, solitude. I mean, I guess there's a, it's semantics the difference there but as far as i see it the 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 differentiation comes in perspective right the difference between i i always view loneliness as solitude plus a sort of uh, viewing it through the lens of a lack of connection whereas you can have solitude from a from a positive perspective and you're still respecting how much connection you actually have like even with yeah. even in the absence of anyone there one thing i would stress to people is pay attention to how much of your life is actually contributed to by others. And I mean that right. It's so cheesy, but right down to the point of who makes your food, who built this house you live in. Like so much of your life is. Yeah. I like that. It's not cheesy. I like that. It's, it's a, when you really pay attention to it, the positive net effect you have on your own life is very, it's minute compared yeah. to, you know, you have to just make, you don't even have to make sure you breathe. That's taken care of by your autonomic yeah. nervous system. Right? Yeah, yeah. You just got to make sure you're putting some food and water in your mouth. And then, you know, I'm, I'm talking in broad strokes here, but what I'm saying is for anyone yeah. who's feeling lonely, just pay some attention to how much of your experience right now is catered to or provided by others. And by, and I always find that to be a really powerful exercise in, yeah. Not necessarily gratuity, but in reminding myself that I'm part of something bigger if yeah. there isn't I at all. But uh, I, I find that to be really useful. But do you think there's a there's some benefit to practicing solitude? Yes. So I guess that's the sort of other end of it, right? Because I truly believe that you should be your own sort of best friend before anyone else's. Um, now I have some conflicting ideas with that when it comes to love and we can get onto that in a little while, but I think being comfortable being alone is extremely important. Now I personally think that if I had to live by myself with my dog, I would be completely fine. And I don't think that I would suffer with the sort of loneliness, um, or I guess knock on effects of being alone. Right. But I also have, I'm quite spiritual. 
I love nature. I think I'd be quite happy. So I guess it also depends on which context you're now talking. If I'm living in a sky rise building in the middle of London all by myself with no friends, that would be quite rubbish. Right. But if I was living in nature with my dog and I still had access to calling my mom every now and again, I think I'd be completely fine. Um, but I sort of had to learn the hard way to be alone because I moved to Bristol and at the time, my ex-boyfriend sort of dumped me three days after I got here, even though he was supposed to move with me. So I went to university as a mature student. I was 27 years old uh, or 26, um, didn't know anyone, sort of went into this really high stressful situation with university, no friends, living in student accommodation for a year. And I had to really learn to be alone and be comfortable with being alone. And it was masked by years and years of me being in London, partying every weekend. And if I wasn't partying, trying to find friends that would hang out with me because I couldn't stand the thought of being alone. Mm. You know, so I think it's really important to know how to. Um, and then I guess that studies would end up, you know, becoming sort of social psychology cases rather than neuroscientific. Because if you want to talk about it on your neuroscientific term, uh, we, you know, we, we see higher levels of tach, uh, tachykinin in individuals that are isolated or lonely. But I don't know. Research doesn't account for every case, does it? It doesn't account for the anomalies. It doesn't account for every um, uh, variable as well because it doesn't take into consideration maybe someone like me or I imagine from what I've seen, someone like you who could probably live alone and still be profoundly happy knowing that you have a deeper connection with either yourself and or nature and, you know, spiritual sort of guy, if you will. Does yeah, that answer yeah. It? Yeah, yeah, completely. And I can, I can see what you're saying there in terms of like the neuroscientific research doesn't necessarily account for that. What we were saying that, that difference in perspective between loneliness and, and solitude. Exactly. Right? And I, I know people experientially who couldn't go a day on their own. Um, you know, or they, they really get bummed out. Like, you know, yeah. they really do. They're, they're, they're social butterflies and they're constantly in that, on that sort of almost hedonistic treadmill of they, the, up, the highs are so good that even just coming back to baseline feels really tough for them. And mm -hmm. I also know people who, um, you know, have lived alone for many, many, many years. And, uh, you know, I, I always think about this about my grandmother. She's lived on her own for, She's the majority of my life and she moved wow. to a different country and she was and she had a great friend network but by and large she's more than happy to be alone and sometimes i get guilt that i don't see her often enough and then yeah. i'll go around and it'll get to like four o'clock in the afternoon and she'll look at her watch and go well you better you know you better get off <laughs> you know it's gonna <laughs> get enough dark. of you <laughs> yeah and i'm like oh you're actually you function very well in solitude oh, like yeah. it's not a thing and it is yeah as, as sort of bitter a pill as it is to swallow i guess it is a case of perspective right and you can't yeah. it's difficult to measure yeah in a lab yeah and i think loneliness is probably more of an internal feeling rather than a circumstantial feeling or circumstantial you know uh situation because if you feel lonely then you probably have higher levels of tachykinin if you don't feel lonely then you probably wouldn't because you'd be happy i don't know hard to say hard to you know recreate that in 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 a lab like you said so yeah 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 i guess you'd have to you'd have to rely on the the um the sort of experiential like yeah. reported you know self-reported um which is 
and difficult to go off of, right? Yeah. Research is just tricky in general, but yeah, we, we do our best. <laughs> what would you say is the low hanging fruit that, that people are kind of missing out on in terms of, uh, in terms of just taking care of, or just on a daily basis, just regulating their, their mental health? Um, as I said, I think taking breaks, I think that's a big, big one. Um, and I see it in my clients all the time. Uh, hydration, not enough people drink water and not just water electrolytes. Mm-hmm. So is this, is this what you mean? Is this what the, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, what, okay. you know, what are the actionable things that people can really do that they might already know, but they just need yeah. that. It's like you say, sometimes they need to know the, what the, the kind of the why as well, because it's one thing to yeah. say meditate, but if that, if that kind of conjures up ideas of swamis and gurus, you might find it difficult. And it's one thing to say, yeah. drink enough water, but some people might just think, well, you know, what is water? What's it going to do? But yeah. I'd love to just get your, you know, yeah. your professional perspective on it. Yeah. So when we are awake and when we're asleep, we have all trading rhythms. So you go into deep sleep, back into REM, deep sleep, REM. Okay. The same thing happens when you're awake, you go into alpha, beta, sorry, alphas at the bottom, beta, alpha, beta. You can go into gamma as well. I don't recommend that, but that's if you're sort of engaging in something that's really stressful, but we don't really have much control over it. But what happens is we don't fully come down into alpha on a, on a regular basis because our breaks consist of us scrolling through Instagram or I don't know, maybe having a cup of coffee, which I do drink, I actually drink too much coffee, but um, or some people smoke. That's not a break. That's acetylcholine you're releasing into the brain. That's not a, that's not a relaxing uh, neurotransmitter. So that's why an NSDR is really powerful. Not because you, well, as well as sitting with yourself, but on a sort of neurobiological level, you're actually bringing your brainwaves back down into alpha so that you can then siphon energy for the rest of the day so that your curves look pretty much more consistent rather than you deriving cortisol to keep you up into beta because your brain wants to go into alpha, but it can't because you're engaging in something that's quite stressful, like Instagram, you know, as much as we want to say that it isn't. And I, you know, I love Instagram. I've got a great Instagram. It's educational. So I have no problem with Instagram, but I know that there's some people that do, you know, and even then, so it's still not great for me to go on Instagram in my breaks. So that's why and meditation or non-sleep deep rest is profoundly beneficial for the, for your brain health. I just sorry, just two seconds. I just want to because yeah. we said it a few times now, so I just want to put a little a bookmark in here and just I wonder if you could just quickly give us clip, clip notes on what yoga nidra non sleep deep rest is. Yeah, so um, 10 minutes just shutting down your phone. I ideally would put it on airplane mode and just have no distractions, just sit with yourself for 10 minutes. I wouldn't worry about what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be thinking. Even just tapping into that default mode network that I mentioned previously is already so. Um, valuable because you can already start sifting through information or thoughts that your brain is wanting to have. That's not very scientific, but yeah. So hope that helps. Um, the second thing I would say, uh, I was saying earlier is hydration, especially electrolytes. So your entire brain process or entire bodily function is based on action potentials. So enough sodium potassium moving through a pump or a membrane that allows for neurons to fire and communicate with each other so that I can have this conversation with you. And they're happening at like, honestly, so quick. You, I mean, it, 
if you can imagine how quickly neurons are firing for us to even me to just move my hand slash talk to you and blink at the same time without having to think about it. So there's a lot going on in the brain all the time. And if you think about these electrolytes having to communicate with each other all the time, but yet you're not drinking enough water, nor are you drinking enough electrolytes. I get all my clients to drink sachets of electrolytes. Um, I was lucky enough to win a year supply from Halo. Uh, this is not sponsored by them, by the way, but uh, yeah. So electrolytes, super important. Um, I think there was a huge thing on salt a couple of years ago, like salt's really bad for you. Yeah. Salt is really bad for you. If you're getting salt from McDonald's, you know, yeah. if you're getting sort of anticoagulants in there and there he goes drinking some water. <laughs> Electro- it's funnily enough, it's electrolytes. <laughs> Perfect. You see, so now that I've explained to you that, you know, we need um, calcium, we need potassium, we need sodium, we need, I can't think of all the electrolytes now off the top of my head, but with it all, like the, the, the tiniest molecule that or element that is needed for brain function and then in turn bodily function because you can't function without your brain. So when I say like that, my clients are like, yeah, I really should drink some more water. Mm. You know, we're made up of water. It, 70% it's, it's, of us is water. So it's weird how as a supplement, it just, it seems like such an unsexy thing, yeah. electrolytes, but it's the, the like the bedrock of performance and yeah. you know but, but be that physical or cognitive the yeah. bedrock of it and it's the subtle i just because it's not spoken about and i i think it's just not in the in the zeitgeist particularly performance enhancement like, i mean i guess it is once you get out to endurance sports but that's for obvious other reasons but yeah i don't think that anyone then has the readily available data or anecdotal experience that when they get uh, you know, brain fog or when they're, whatever it is, they don't go to a place of water. Oh, my dehydration. Yeah. Like immediately. Whereas if it was a uh, physical performance, most people would intuitively, yeah. oh, I'm de- they'd get that right. But it's yeah. so important for your, your day-to-day sort of operational ability, isn't it? Yeah. Just to make sure that you're consuming enough fluids. Yeah. Yeah. If I could, I would get all my clients to do a sweat test and see how many electrolytes are they losing just by even existing um, and replenish them accordingly and then replenish them even more if you're exercising. So, um, but yeah, like you said, it's not a very sexy thing and people don't want to spend money on that. So they wouldn't see the value in it, but you know, they, these um, there's loads of research to support that you know dehydration and lack of electrolytes has been directly linked to slower brain processing speed reaction time so if you're thinking about driving um, I mean this is a bit dramatic but wouldn't you want to be in peak cognitive performance in case you need to accidentally break at last minute you know what I mean uh, and that's just something as dramatic as being in the car but even just thinking I do a lot of reading every day so yeah yeah, and for some, like, like, you know, I guess it's it's the perfect answer to the question I asked of what, what's the low-hanging fruit for somebody that's, yeah. it's, it's almost harder not to do it. Yeah. You know, it's almost, yeah. it's <laughs> no, there's really no, some <laughs> of the other stuff, you're going to get time constraints and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, if you don't drink water, you're going to die. So you're going to do that at some point, you know, yeah. of course just, you are. So yeah. just drink more in those sittings. Like with the yeah. other stuff, like, you know, if you were talking about, exercise or locomotion like getting out for a walk or whatever it is i can eat i can understand people's objections like you can run that through a troubleshooting matrix a lot of time and people generally do have yeah people do have the ability to do it more than they think but something as 
simple as drinking water. Just drink more. Yeah, drink more water, more consistently as well if you can. Yeah. Yeah, precisely that. Yeah, and then I guess for me it's sleep. But, you know, we we had this conversation before the recording started, but sleep is so important. Yes, it's one of the things that most people really struggle with. I mean, almost everyone I speak to is like, yeah, whatever, as if because they either have children or my dog decided to wake me up at five o'clock this morning and I was sleeping like a log. I was so happy. But, you know, and I appreciate that a lot of people don't know how to get to sleep. So, But if you can learn um, or find what works for you, then sleep is definitely the, like the best medicine there's no such thing as too much sleep as well they did research um, on this the only issue with too much sleep is if you start bleeding into your circadian rhythm and sort of start offsetting your cortisol increase so when you wake up your body releases cortisol naturally it needs to spike high enough before it comes down so it gets you ready for sleep um, in the evening so what tends to happen is if people oversleep it's not that they feel more tired it's that their cortisols haven't spiked accordingly and now the whole process is delayed so going to sleep isn't because they slept in late it's because their cortisol still hasn't come down so um, I would definitely suggest those people doing a nice big quick run before bed <laughs> yeah and also that you're at risk of that kind of jet lag effect right if you're yeah. you're sleeping through things you should be doing and yeah. then pushing them further into the day and you can yeah. end up kind of caught up in that that's why i always advocate for even people who are limited sleep and obviously this is well well outside or well, mostly outside of my scope of knowledge but getting up at the same time every day yeah. being as important as the amount of sleep you get, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think the knock-on effect of that is you do end up just going to sleep earlier. If you, you know, you're yeah. tired, you wake up at the same time anyway, that the next night you tend to not, as you say, bleed into the, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, the, I think that's, that's quite an underrated, I think people don't think about that, right? They hear, eight, oh, I need to get my seven, eight hours a night. Yeah. And they're more willing to take it off, uh, you know, add it on the next day. Yeah. not realizing the kind of knock-on effect that will yeah. happen to the next day, the next day, the next day. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it, it is consistency in the timings. If you can get really diligent about say going to bed at 10 o'clock, waking up at six, then yeah, you've, you've really sort of ticked most of the boxes when it comes to performance and just ability to live and longevity as well. Um, sleep has been connected to, you know, uh, old and not, not old age, but a uh, cognitive decline, um, immune, um, information as well. So, yeah. Do you think that that there's a kind of cultural, um, (laughs) kind of barrier to this in that we live in the the day and age of busy and, um, we get so kind of consumed in, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy without actually reflecting on whether or not a you're productive or B you're actually busy, or are you just kind of borrowing the affectations of being busy because it seems like you should be. Yeah. And then we, in my experience of the people around me, something I notice a lot is there is actually plenty of opportunity to get that sleep, but mm. because of this, the kind of social currency of not getting sleep, which is, you know, I'm just working, working, working. And as someone who's consistently been on the other side of this, I really hate the kind of glamorization of this kind of, you know, minimal sleep. I don't think anyone yeah. who's really experienced weeks and weeks and weeks of four or five hours sleep yeah. is it whatever you know talk, you know speak yeah. to the positive benefits because it really is 
fucking awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying of, to find the correct term, but I think yeah, fucking awful is, is the way it, to it, explain it. Yeah, it really is, and uh, it affects your decision making abilities. It affects yeah. your cognitive and emotional abilities, right? And life is just harder. Your life is just waiting yeah. for treacle when you're not getting enough sleep. Do you, Do you think? Know, that, sorry, go on. I was going to say, did you know that Chernobyl, the Chernobyl nuclear plant explosion, was down to um, lack of sleep? So I can't remember exactly who it was operating, but it was down to a brain processing speed uh, malfunction, if you will, um, from lack of sleep. So yeah, your, your reaction time is down. Your, I mean, I can't function on anything less than eight hours. I mean, I'm terrible. At my, I always joke because I wanted to be a doctor and I was like, what? I would have been the worst doctor ever. I would have been so irritable all the time. Um, but yeah, no sleep. I mean, there's loads of studies. I mean, I was just reading one recently. There's, they put individuals on six hours of sleep for a week. Um, 711 of their genes were um, changed, if you will. So some of them, half of them were upregulated. The other half were downregulated. The ones that were upregulated were the ones for um, tumor processing and inflammation. And the ones that were downregulated were, were for immunity. So that was just six hours of sleep in one week. And you can't you can't catch up on sleep, yeah. you know, um, there's other ones that are more dramatic where they put patients, they kept patients up for 36 hours. Now you're saying to me, Nick, who stays up for 36 hours, but I can tell you there's a lot of people in London that stay up for 36 hours, uh, due to you know, some substance abuse and, you know, without considering the substance in itself, just the lack of sleep as it is, is already going to have hugely negative effects on your brain health, neurodegeneration. And, you know, I think there was a study recently as well that showed that sleep has been linked to um, Alzheimer's in a way that more sleep diminishes or or staves off Alzheimer's for, I think, 15 years. I need to get my facts straight, but I was like, whoa, you know, but it's not surprising. So, yeah, I think sleep is really important, but really hard. For people because we live in this culture like you say this sort of hustle culture yeah. or we i don't know i don't know if you live in london but i used to live in london and you know every weekend there's something ongoing all the time and you know now i value my sleep more than i was supposed to go to a concert tonight and we've, we've got tra- um, train um disruptances and i just thought i don't want to drive it's an hour and 45 to birmingham and it finishes at 11 and I'll get home at what, one o'clock for what, for the sake of going to a concert. Like I know there's an aspect of live a little, but I'm also in the process of building a second business and it's quite hard for me to, you know, not have any sleep. So I'm saying goodbye to that one and I'll go on a weekend one day when I can allow for it. But yeah. 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 I think that that's a really important point is that people do try and make that, as we said, we've got the, the cultural social currency of like, you know, I don't need, you know, I can, I can function on five hours sleep and sleep I'm trying I'm to, um, yeah, exactly. And also the other yeah. side of that, which is probably the, the, the carrot as opposed to the stick is that, you know, live a little, enjoy your experiences, but striking a balance, I think is really important. Right. Yeah. I think it's important to separate how much of uh, this is probably true of everything in life. But for me, I think particularly with this, when you talk to people, oh, do you get enough sleep and the straight off the bat of, without even thinking and this is how you know people are caught up in their own um uh kind of assumptions and beliefs They're like oh i just can't you know there's no real like let me just think how yeah. much did how much netflix did i watch or how many nights did i go to sleep and have youtube on when yeah. i could have 
turn all the lights off and, and got to do I have sleep. good sleep hygiene around, mm. you know, if you know you're someone that can't sleep, then you should not be engaging in your phone. I've got clients that fall asleep in front of the sofa, so in front of the TV on the sofa. And I think that's wonderful, but I, you know, if they can do that, great. But I know loads of clients of mine can't. Mm. So why are you scrolling on Instagram at 10, 11 o'clock at night? I try my best to put my phone on airplane mode at nine o'clock. I also switch off my Wi-Fi. For me, it's like a mental thing where I've just flicked the thing off and I'm like, okay, now it's time yeah. to bed. But I'm also one of those people that can scroll through Instagram and then go straight to sleep. But not everyone is like that. So uh, I think that the what you choose to do at bedtime for me is one of the biggest highlighters of how uh, our lack of free will when it comes to um you know chasing our own internal sort of chemical dependency yeah. because this is i was discussing this with my, my friend the other day i know full well that oftentimes when i get into bed i've got a really binary choice i'm not particularly tired like sometimes when i i get into bed at the point at which i'm only just making it into bed before i sleep right i'm completely exhausted more often than not but if i get into bed and then i know i have a real clear binary choice between i could put my um um i'm outing myself again here but i've got like a, <laughs> a an eye mask with built-in headphones right so, cool. so you can like you can fidget in and it's cool it's a binary it. choice i can put that on and and put something on that i know will help help me just immediately wind down and get to sleep like some sleep hypnosis or something big fan of that yeah or I can scroll through Instagram. Now, really and truly, it is a no-brainer, right? When you know how important sleep is, you know the knock-on effect is going to happen the next day. Yeah. You know you're not, you know, what are you really gaining? Gaining, yeah. <laughs> but it is a hard choice. Like, I think yeah. most people listening will be like, yeah. oh, can relate to that kind of, yeah. in that moment of 15 minutes into scrolling when you get caught up, and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why? Including why? myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we all absolutely do it. And yeah when it's such a binary choice of I could do this thing right now that is going to have a huge outsized return on investment in my life. I'm going to get yeah. to sleep. And it's longevity. Not, yeah. Yeah. And it's not unenjoyable either. It's not as though I'm having to do something particularly difficult. I'm going to sleep. Uh, or I can just yeah. do something as asinine and weird as just, I'm just going to you know, look at comments on a YouTube video. You really do. I think that puts into real stark contrast how driven we are by the, you know, the, the sort of pleasure networks of our brain, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are your, um, that's uh, quite a nice say, I think into this, but in terms of dopamine, that's like a hot subject at the moment, right? Everyone is talking about, there's a lot of literature being kind of, made available to gem pop in the forms of books and then you, you mentioned sort of human lab earlier and the, the work Andrew Huberman's yeah. doing there. It's, it's like a big I don't want to use the word buzzword because it's yeah. it's not it's like a legit subject of conversation but do you think how can I phrase this do you think that we we overlook or, or rather just completely ignore or have no idea the power the dependency or the habit forming abilities of these internal chemicals and the, the drive they have in our lives do we do you yeah. think this is something that we just don't think about or don't talk about yeah well i don't think we 
talk about and think about enough. So I often delete my Instagram or move mm. it around somewhere else. And even though I know I've deleted it, I will still go and click on the place where it used to be. I actually counted once and day one, I clicked there 23 times. I'm outing myself now. Um, but I knew that it wasn't there, but it's so reflexive that you don't even realize you're doing it until you've clicked on it. You're like, mm. oh, no, I, I, I made a little joke of it and I put balance, the, the sort of cognitive uh, brain game thing. I put that, that in place. Uh, and, I, and I thought this is actually quite silly. It's such a joke because I know it's not there, but I don't even think about it. I've clicked on it only afterwards. I go, oh, it's not here, you know? Yeah. Um, and I encourage anyone to do that everyone to do that and to also pay attention to how many times you get that urge to want to grab your phone even though you know that there's no notification but you just want to go see if something's yeah. happening on instagram right i went through this huge growth spurt on instagram and i was completely addicted to like just checking the notifications for what like i was just going to get lost in it anyway there's no point right but that's how we're wired it's dopamine it's it's a thrill it's exciting it's, it's so readily available as well which makes it so much harder slash easier mm, yeah Be, beyond the like the mechanistic kind of methods of just making things more difficult to access which i think uh probably most people who are listening to this are i think 99 percent of people in the world have either read charles duhigg's work or, or atomic habits at this point so they know that i think that particularly this demographic know the power of you know make something difficult to do if you don't want to do it yeah. beyond doing things like that and I'm, I'm the same as you. I put Instagram in a folder, in a folder, in a folder. But eventually it doesn't take long before you reflexively, my thumb just yeah. knows how to get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is, and again, that, that we can all kind of relate to that. You actually open up Instagram with the intent to do something, uh, you know, be it message somebody or, and you've turned it off before you've even realized what you were doing because you've got so caught up in just scrolling. And you're like, yeah. oh, I need to turn Instagram off. Or what did I actually come here to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what are some things people can do more holistically, like throughout their whole life or on a, on a day-to-day basis to um, control or work with, I don't know what the best phrase would be here, that kind of being caught up in that dopamine cycle? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you remember, I posted something about this a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months, but so with dopamine, every time we have a little bit of dopamine, the brain needs to reset itself. So it actually releases, well, you, you feel a little bit of pain, um, anchored in, it's almost like a seesaw effect, right? Uh, when the seesaw is so wildly unbalanced, that's when you get things like addiction, right? But let's just assume that you're in the sort of like fun, the fun side of the seesaw, if you will, um, that knowing that right after you have something good, there's going to be this feeling of discomfort and pain. And it comes in the feeling of, I want to find something else on Instagram that's rewarding, or I want more chocolate. I want to go back to Portugal, you know, that feeling of, I want more, but you can't have more because that is what's going to balance out the scales again is sitting in that discomfort, knowing that that's completely normal. And I think people don't appreciate how normal that is because that is our brain's way of trying to regulate. So one, I think already having that knowledge is huge. Um, so being able to sit in the discomfort and just, you know, allowing it, you know, the other thing I always say to my clients is I like to use the negative 
thing. So let's say Instagram is negative. I put that in inverted commas because we can argue what's negative and whether that's negative to you or not. But say you want to stop going on Instagram so much. Um, we operate on cue, trigger, reward. So I would use that as your trigger to then do something positive, right? So you want to start practicing breath work or uh, mindfulness, or you want to drink more water. You want to you know, start drinking more water. So I would use that. Okay. I've just gone on Instagram because that's reflexive, but now that's my trigger or my cue to go and drink more water. So now you're adding something positive to this like ridiculous firing pattern that's supposed to be negative. So at one, it turns it into something positive because you're like, okay, that's cool. I've just done that. But actually that just reminded me that I need to do that because often at times with habits, we don't remember that we need to do them because we said ourselves on Monday, we were going to start drinking more water and by Friday we've forgotten. We need something to remind us to do it. So using that as a tool, I think is already quite valuable. And also if you want to think about it on sort of neuroplastic terms, neurons that fire together in a pattern, when you start adding something else to the pattern, it's now changing the pattern. So you're dismantling the firing pattern of you going on an Instagram because now you've added on the water. So do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was just letting you come to the end there because I wanted to say how yeah. I, what a phenomenal idea I think that is, is that like yeah. the concept of habit stacking, but also break like it is sort of a yeah. mashup of breaking the bad habit at the same time or using that positive yeah 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 i think that's brilliant and it's because a lot of my clients have these negative thinking patterns so they they start ruminating and then they go okay actually i've just realized that i'm ruminating so what nick said was i need to go and do some breath work one of my clients likes to shake so she's like shakes it all out love that um so now it's like it's becoming something for them and it almost it becomes really positive. It starts breaking that negative thought pattern as well, because the problem with the negative thinking is that it's like a knock on effect. It's yeah. like a snowball as well. So if you can then add on something that's good for you, you start sort of like giggling about it. You're like, Oh wow. Okay. That's silly. And then the whole firing pattern sort of breaks. But I'd love to delve into a little bit more research on this. I've got other research coming up in November, but that's one of my biggest um, passions. I think is to seeing whether that actually I've seen it work, um, but I don't have the literature to sort of, back up whether that actually does work so yeah um, yeah i think even just the acknowledgement of uh yeah. particularly with as you said they're like negative four patterns the the ability to actually acknowledge that that spiral is is happening because too often bef before we even realize it's happening we're spiraling into it right and i just i just say it out loud more often than not when i realize i'm on that sort of yeah. i'm imagining what i would have said to the guy at the roundabout who gave me when i'm you know um <laughs> uh, whatever it may be i just literally say out loud like i'll laugh like you said the best arguments are the ones you have with yourself yeah of course right? yeah yeah <laughs> um but then who wins yeah you know you always lose that argument uh, yeah i would just say dead end is what i say more often than not now it's like that's a dead end okay, and the minute you acknowledge it it's it's over isn't it but i love the concept of stacking it with something positive the minute you notice it because you're kind of combining that acknowledgement of uh, you're in a negative pattern of some description here or doing something that's maybe not in alignment with your with your values or goals yeah and then spinning it into something positive i think that's tremendous and i'm really interested to see uh you know anecdotally i can see how that would be fantastic but i'm really interested to see on a on a sort of scientific level what you get out of that yeah, yeah that Same. would be thank yeah. you <laughs> i'm really uh, conscious of your time here nick but um 
I've got a section of the, the podcast we call the Toolbox Talk where I ask the same questions to all guests and we kind of try and infer some common knowledge and, and see if there are any trends and by and large just get some actionable takeaways uh, that listeners can just go away and sort of implement into awesome. their everyday life. So I'm just going to fire these past you. Perfect. If you could make one book or piece of media compulsory reading or watching for other people new to fitness or training or just anybody in general, what would it be and why? And do not feel hamstrung to pick a book at all. Anything someone could go away and consume that you yeah. think would you know, have asymmetrical benefits to their life. Yeah, so this one's going to be a bit weird because I haven't actually read it, but I know the concept of it and The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've ever read that book. I've but not read it, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I've I'm read, aware of it. Yeah, I'm aware of it and I've read snippets of it and I've heard about it on podcasts. And I think um, I have a big belief in, you know, what we put in is what we get out because every cell in our bodies is regenerating from whatever we ingest, right? So you will see in a few years time or maybe when you're older, what that has been. And that's the concept of the book. Um, that your body does keep the score. So that's one one book that I would definitely recommend. And then in terms of sleep, um, again, I haven't read this one, but I've read his research. So it's um, Why We Sleep. So I know the research behind it. I just haven't read the book because I've read pretty much every single one of his papers. So, yeah. That, that was one of, that was the biggest bane of my life for a while is that everyone would constantly send me links to uh, Why We Sleep. Um, when I was running my previous business and I would just, it would be 5am until midnight every single day without shadow of a doubt. Uh, or people would send me like Rogan's podcast with him. And right. I would just always be like, don't you think, do you think that I'm doing this for fun? Do you think that I'd, I'm going to go, oh shit, I didn't realize I should be sleeping, man. <laughs> this book is just going to add additional stress to my life by, by knowing all these things. So uh, for the longest time, it was like, thank you, but no, thank you. Uh, yeah, I that's very hilarious. much like to get more sleep. But um, I, I think like hydration yeah. It's very easy. Like from my point of view, I'm like, I'm always like, oh, people know they should be drinking enough. People know they should be eating enough, but some people need to see the, the mechanisms or, you know, the, <laughs> what they're getting themselves in for if they don't do these things. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So either way thought, you're learning. There's yeah. another book called, um, the boy who was raised as a dog. That's my favorite, favorite book. It's not about exercise and nutritional, but it's, it's how the brain works. And it's, it's so good. Um, Bruce D. Perry, he's a psychiatrist, child psychiatrist in the US. So the boy who was raised as a dog is really good. I'll make a note of that. Yeah. If you could go back in time and speak to yourself in the first year or two of your career or your adult life, what <laughs> advice would you have for yourself? Oh, Oh, I don't know. That's really hard. Um, I think going back on theme, and this is not just because we spoke about this today, but I actually went in an interview with someone the other day and they asked me what was the key to happiness. And I really and truly think it is being happy by yourself and alone in your own skin. Because I was not happy in my own skin in the first few years of sort of my career or life, probably in my twenties, you know, living in London, I was very, very, um, I guess, self-conscious without realizing that I was self-conscious, you know, not mm. knowing who I was. So I think it's hard to say that because again, it goes back to sort of listening to your body, but just being comfortable in your own skin, however shape or form that comes, I think is really important. 
because I had this weird realization. I was when I came to university already and I was, I remember walking and I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't change my face. <laughs> I can't change it. I mean, I know you can change it. You can obviously go and do surgery to change your face, but I thought, I actually can't change my face. I might as well just get on board with what it looks like. Um, And I said that to a friend and they're like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I can't change it. Why do I keep bashing myself about it? Now I've done really, I don't have appearance issues. I never really have had appearance issues, but I know that that's a big thing um, in people's lives. Um, Whether that's because I don't really care what I look like. um, Yeah. I just always grew up with not really caring that much about and that sounds like I'm a slob and I don't take care of myself. I do, but it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. I think we give far too much. And I, I always clock myself here. I do always clock myself here personally and say that I understand that this is probably coming from a bit of a position of privilege, but I do think we over, we overweight by a margin, how actually important it is and it's you use two really interesting terms there and it's probably way beyond the scope of this conversation and definitely beyond the scope of the end portion of the podcast but isn't it interesting that you can interchangeably use the phrases self-conscious and i didn't really know who i was like you're conscious of something that you don't really even understand what it is i find that a very interesting paradox i mean the 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 concept itself i find interesting is it unconscious in incompetence or the, you know, the competence scale of change? It's, it starts with unconscious incompetence. So you kind of know that something is off, but um, yeah, yeah I, it's I, I just find it so interesting that you, you can be so um, internalized and focused on something that's really quite transient and undefinable anyway. Like I tell everyone who I suspect may have a, a passing interest in this otherwise you risk boring them but uh to really try and find themselves and i don't mean that in the sense of you know yeah go walking or holidaying yeah. in thailand and, and take ayahuasca and find, yeah exactly or do. <laughs> um, yeah i mean really try and find the part of you that could be called self and the yeah. loosening of that has been very transcendental for me but yeah I can, when we feel as though we end at our skin it's very difficult yeah. and not go down that place of i wish i could change my face i wish i could do this i wish i could do that because yeah. you somehow feel it will change your experience in the world right yeah well i i if you know if it's giving solutions i actually i, I remember watching a documentary on how do you have you ever heard of voyager one and two yeah yeah yeah. Okay. So that blew my mind because I think they took 42 years to leave our, um, our Milky Way. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was just like completely blew my mind because scientists had to um, make sure that all the planets were so perfectly aligned that the traje- trajectory could sort of ricochet off each planet. So it could leave our galaxy because it wasn't enough fuel to do yeah. it otherwise. And when I remember watching that documentary, I was like, why do I care about my appearance? You know? Um, and that was like quite a profound moment for me. And then another time was when I came to Bristol, like I said, and I had to sort of be alone, but I threw myself into yoga and ballet dancing and ballet dancing was great because I had to learn a skill, but yoga, particularly finding this like deeper sort of connection with myself uh, and, and uncovering all the stuff that I'd masked over for years and years and years that I never really dealt with as well, I think was, was yeah, 
amazing for me. It was just, it's for some people it's exercise running, but for me it was definitely yoga at the time. Do you, do you know what, uh, I can't remember if it's Pali or Sanskrit, but do you know what the word yoga means? No. It means yoke in the sense okay. of, uh, Enter, yeah. no, no, like, um, like a yoke you would put on an oxen or a yoke we would carry in strongman. And right. The, the word literally means to connect. Okay. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, I always find that so interesting just, just yeah. from what you said there, like the connection. And I always find it a little bit criminal that yoga has often been reduced to movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and it's almost the, the converse of what it should be about, yeah. you know, becoming embodied as opposed to just moving yeah. your body as if you are a little homunculus inside. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I find that super interesting. And this probably leads nicely into this uh, question, which is what one or two daily or weekly habits or actions possibly unique to you do you feel have most contributed to your achievements or just contentment? Yoga. although i say that i haven't done yoga in a very long time but i think i oscillate through phases so i haven't gone to ballet in about six months maybe a year even um i've started lifting so i just having anything for me i think that is making me feel happy at the time exercise wise because i i don't think for me it's very similar all the time i know there's people that can lift all the time And I, and I, and I just posted about lifting three times a week, but, um, I, and I do endeavor to, to train three times a week at least, but having a hobby slash exercise regime, which, you know, I think you would have guessed coming on a bulldog gear podcast. Um, I think for me as well as really downregulating and, and implementing those meditations and non-sleep deep breaths and just keep checking in with myself because I had a very profoundly spiritual first year here living in Bristol. And then I got so busy and we set up a business and I'm setting up another business and I'm so busy that I've almost like disconnected from myself a little bit. So making sure that I come back to that relationship with myself by doing a meditation every evening before bed and just checking in or whatever it is. Um, And then, yeah, just, I take omega threes every day. I try anyway and lots of water. Um, just at risk of uh, going too deep here, when you take the Omega Freeze, what's the um, what's the kind of aim there? What are you what are you looking for with that? Cognitive function. So yeah, there's uh, anti-inflammation. So I I am very busy. So I wouldn't be surprised if I'm stressed. Um, I have had my bloods taken before and and checked, and they always come back sort of with. Uh, lower inflammation once taking omega-3s on a regular basis because I don't know if you know much about it but omega-3s anti-inflammatory omega-6 inflammatory and our western diet sort of lends itself towards a more sort of omega-6 diet so supplementing with omega-3 for me I found personally is great the literature also supports that our brain is essentially made up of DHA which is one of the um, fatty acids in omega-3 and um EPA has been shown to be modulatory towards um, antidepressants. Now, I'm not depressed on antidepressants, but just seeing the effects that it has in comparison already shows you the moderate modulatory effects that it has on our brain health. So in conclusion, yeah, that's why. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was hoping that's what you were going to say, because I know historically and particularly in this industry, um, 
that uh, there tends to be when there's something supplementary that you can take the uh the the research that's talked about is it's talked about in terms of its performance enhancing or, or physical or aesthetic the, the aesthetic benefits of it and then over the last probably decade or so omega-3 has has fallen out of sort of the popularity there but yet like you know i've seen some of the literature around the antidepressant effects if i've taken yes. a particular you i mean am i right in saying that you do need to make sure you're getting a good amount of epa in there and it's not like some of the cheaper brands really yeah. do lowball that but yeah. the positive effects of daily omega free intake particularly yeah. as you say on a western diet are huge right yeah, 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 yeah. And you can you can start trying it and seeing it for yourself. Now the, the problem is that they are expensive. There's mm. I think any good brand will probably cost within the range of thirty pounds plus per month mm. on Amigas. Uh you can buy them on su- subscription and you want an uh, an Amiga with an EPA of at least a thousand milligrams or one gram or ideally my one has two thousand milligrams and I think a thousand five hundred of EPA. Sorry, EPA and then 1500 of dha um that's bare biology so they're quite good but it's tricky because omega-3s there's yeah i know you're conscious of time omega-3s are um they're quite hard to come by the good quality ones because they they oxidize in the body as well before they reach the cell membrane so you have to make sure that they have either been re-estified or they've got olive polyphenols in them to make sure that they sort of uh support the integrity of the fatty acids before they get oxidized by the body so it's a tricky unregulated supplement you know world yeah and i think most commercially available or easily commercially available you know you can walk into holland barrel boots and get them are so underdosed for that i would stay away from those yeah 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 yeah. or you're going to be you're going to have fish breath from taking about 25 capsules a day right yeah but i tried in a pinch but (laughs) (laughs) the ones that say no fishy smell or no fishy taste been that because yeah. well, how can you get rid of the taste of fish you can't if there's yeah, no yeah. fishy smell there's no fish in there <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly that, that I, I think the just to be actionable the liquid you know bottled yeah. concentrated varieties from a good source that as you say you're getting about a thousand milligrams a gram of epa yeah. looks yeah. am i right and saying through the literature to be yeah. about where you want to be right yeah, 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 exactly. Now, people argue that DHA is the more important one and you can, yeah, either or, but I anything that has a high content is good. The last one is I use a LED face mask on my face because I know I said I don't care about my appearance, but I do care about longevity. I, I want to look 20 when I'm 40. So um, LED, sorry, uh, red light mask on my face too. I also drink bone broth, by the way. So yeah, there you go. You're, you're extremely holistic, Nick. <laughs> you've got yeah, it all going on. Yeah. yeah well, I've, I've, yeah, I try. I try. My mask is only 20 minutes. I do it while I'm sort of washing dishes or whatever. So. That's, that's so cool. Um, I do, I've gone back and forth with red light therapy, like, cause I, I'm very much a person who likes to probably much like you, like I'd like to know what my N equals one experience of it yeah. is, but at the same time, I'm very, if something's very much overhyped, that yeah. like is a weird alarm bell for me, but that's, yeah. I need to get over that and be Maybe, objective. Yeah. With I mean, it, yeah. I can see it in my skin. I really can. I remember I was using it for like two weeks and I remember looking in the mirror going, Oh my God, I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I need to get, get on that. I've had too many yeah. summer, summers in the sun 
Um, You're going to message me in two weeks being like, oh my God, Nick, I'm hot. <laughs> I'm rejuvenated. I was, I was sat with my mom the other week and we're having a conversation. I was kind of looking at her and I was like, you've got way less crow's feet than me, ah. mom. Because <laughs> I've, I've just had a rough paper round. So. Right. Collagen, bone broth. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm already on a bone broth, so I'll jump on the, um, the red light. There's interestingly what? enough. Sorry, go on. No, no, you, you crack on. There's a, a new like sunbed shop opened near us and they've got like high powered tanning beds with right. built in red light therapy. And right. I was like, I'm that's trying a paradox. to, that, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I was trying to yeah. think like, like that's odd, isn't it? There's a yeah. really odd sort of dichotomy yeah. there. Of, but could, if they could have just the red light and you could yeah. go in, cause I only have one for my face, but I wanted to ask, why do you drink bone broth? If you don't mind me. For the collagen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for the for the collagen, and it was it was like one of those things that I did as uh, like an n equals one. Like, let's add this in, yeah, and 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 see. But it even in absence of any, and this tends to be the case for me. Like, if I go on like one of these mad tangents, it's because it's at a time in my life when I'm not in a kind of wellness maintenance phase. I'm not just ticking over. Yeah. I'm like, right, I'm going to have a a big kind of. I'm going to introduce this and I'm going to try this so it then is makes it super hard to pinpoint kind of well maybe I just start getting enough sleep at that point or yeah. maybe it was this yeah, maybe yeah. it was that that being said the kind of um you know I, do, I like to make like ramen dishes with bone broth and things like like the the actual enjoyment factor of introducing that into my sort of very slim culinary uh um expertise <laughs> my boyfriend cooks for me so i think mine's more slim than yours <laughs> i'm i'm i don't don't get me wrong i don't not enjoy it and i'm not too bad at it. i don't burn things or anything like that but i'm just super basic i know i hate cooking oh i'm actually quite good though i'm italian so <laughs> I, i'm quite good at it but i just absolutely hate it i don't mind doing it if like i have friends over and then it's like a whole thing but yeah I wouldn't yeah yeah, yeah. I, need, I, need, I need it to be an experience like mm. the, the idea of cooking something that's you know just so i don't die just gonna eat it so i don't die it, like there's no <laughs> there's no sort of glamour in it <laughs> love uh, that love that that's obviously our, our hang up there isn't it on um yeah. wanting for more out of the experience than it can actually give us <laughs> oh brilliant if, if you could oh could you name one item that you've purchased or acquired relatively inexpensively that's given you a huge return on investment, whether that's your health or your productivity or just general contentment, just something that, you know, you would sort of evangelize to other people and say, go out and buy this thing. Um, Reverie, the hypnosis app, you said you're big on hypnosis. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good. If it's not really a material thing, it's an app, but you still have to pay for it. And I think it's really good. I don't use it so much anymore, but at, at a stage I was when I was, you know, having, you know, issues and I would, they've got different sort of mm -hmm. uh, self-hypnosis sessions on there. And I think that that's hugely beneficial because you can go into lowering stress, improving sleep, um, uh, improving focus as well. So David Spielberg is the um, doctor. I think he's a doctor or maybe he's a neuroscientist from the US. I think it's Stanford and he, he developed the app. So yeah, in yeah. terms of like optimization and bettering yourself, if you will, then yeah, it's relatively inexpensive. I think it's like 10 pound a month or you can pay, I think 113 and you have the app forever. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's reverie, right? 
Yeah, R-E-V-E-R-I. There's a, there's some other people involved. I don't know why um, I've got, um, I feel like a clairvoyant now. I don't know why I'm getting uh, Andy Galpin's name in my I'm head. I'm not sure. Maybe it, maybe it was. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't be surprised. if I actually think I saw it the other day and someone else's name was on it, but I know David Spielberg was the guy yeah. who invented it or at least the, does the uh, hypnosis on there. He was yeah. um, a doctor or neuroscientist. can't remember which one, but he's one or the other or both. Yeah, reverie. Uh, and uh, for anyone who has that kind of um, financial barrier, there are obviously, I think reverie just for the specific library, right? Of specific, like this thing for this hypnosis for yeah. this thing or this, but you just go onto Spotify, right? There's so much you can just put into YouTube yeah. and Spotify that. Yeah. Yeah. I think reverie has a free version as well. Mm. It's pretty basic, but yeah, it's, it's still good. I, I use that for a while. Yeah. So yeah. Again, like such a yeah. non-glamorous thing that I know. The, the <laughs> People want to hear all these crazy things, and I'm like, nah. Just try not to use products. Use coconut oil on your face. Don't yeah. keep buying really expensive. Like people, you know, people have skincare routines. I'm like, coconut oil. You know, you're putting chemicals on your face. I mean, I know people have skin problems. So maybe I'm. It comes from a place of privilege because I don't, and I, I did when I was younger, and I went on Reacutane, but. I don't, yeah, I can put anything on my face and my face doesn't react. So, but maybe it's also going to have a red light mask. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you kind of, you've kind of um, sort of uh, undone yourself there, haven't you? Where you're like, oh, just use coconut oil. Well, I mean, I have got this electronic device I put on when I didn't wash it up there. But hang on, I've got to say that I've been using as little products on my face as possible before I bought the red light mask. That's just now a luxury. They're only about 60 quid as well, so you can save up for it. Christmas present. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ask for ones. Put it on your Amazon <laughs> wish list, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a weird place that people get into, isn't it, where they will invest so heavily financially in, in every, um, you know, extraneous gadget or supplement they can get whilst not moving the big blocks of, of sleep, of hydration, of, uh, you know, just checking in with yourself, just making sure you're getting in that daily walk. And yeah. there are a lot of people I know who invest every month a lot of money and a lot of stuff and a lot of time as well in, in certain therapies. Yeah. And then when I asked them, like, have you ever considered just like reading a book for an hour before bed and going to sleep? And they're like, well, why? Yeah. Could be yeah. good for you. <laughs> Yeah. Also learning, like continuously learning things is probably for me, the, the, the key to longevity is keep going both physically and mentally, because once you stop doing that synapses don't need to form anymore. There's no neurogenesis. There's no BDNF. BDNF is like the key to longevity. It's a molecule that sort of keeps your synapses integral. So if you can keep learning and keep engaging through life actively, then yeah, I think that's the, probably the, cheapest best option to stay long and happy yeah there's a direct parallel here with with learning and resistance training isn't there whereby yeah. you have to send the signals to yeah. your body or to your brain that it's still needed it's still necessary and yeah. it still needs to keep adapting or yeah. else we, we very soon uh well you know start on that sort of cognitive decline, right? And the, yeah. the, the bigger the hill we can make to come down from the better, whether that yeah. be physically or mentally. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. The bigger the hill, I like that. That's true. If you could only perform one exercise or movement for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? 
you can have walking and running. You can still do those. Probably a deadlift. But then deadlift. I'd be like really weirdly, like posteriorly jacked. So, but yeah, <laughs> I love uh, deadlifts. I think what this is probably like episode, maybe even episode 70. And I think we're probably about 60 out of 70 for the deadlift. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. What would you have said if I came out with like a front squat? I'd be like, oh, really? No, I, I, think front <laughs> squat, I think front squat would be, it would be pretty up there. No, not for me. I hate front squats. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I actually think if it were between the front squat and the deadlift, I think that from a utilitarian point of view, the front squat could be better because you're gonna obviously you're not the you know you're losing out on that hinge pattern a tiny bit, but tiny bit. (laughs) Well you're still going to develop that ability to output force through the floor that you get through the deadlift, but also training some kind of anti-flexion and, uh, you know, core goodness there and the upper back stuff as much, you know, kind of in line with the deadlift. So I just think it could be pretty, no one would want to do it. No, (laughs) you might actually be right there, but yeah, especially if I was going to do it forever, maybe front squats would be better, but you know, I always say to people, there's two, two ways people approach that question. There's people who do are kind of utilitarian and are like, okay, what's going to serve me the most? Or oh, no, I'm like, a hedonist. Yeah, like, what the, I've, I've got to do this for fucking ever. I'm picking something I like. Yeah, I'm a yeah. hedonist. <laughs> 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 that it is. I'll look funny and I'll walk funny. but Yeah, just, let's just get on with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick, where can people find you online? I'm only on Instagram, Nicole's Neuroscience. I tried LinkedIn. I'm trying LinkedIn. doesn't work for me, but yeah, Nicole's Neuroscience on Instagram is the way I'm mostly active. Happy days. Well, uh, a huge thank you for your your time this afternoon. And I, I know there was a, a hell of a lot of A, actionable stuff to go away and actually do there, but B, actually mostly overall, a lot of stuff I think that people know they should be doing, but Here's it all ties actually, in. Yeah, here's the yeah. importance of why you should be doing it. And I, yeah. I hope that anyone who's listening late at night, whether this is in 10 years' time or next week, um, <laughs> takes a look at their watch now and says, okay, maybe I'll finish this tomorrow this. and go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless you. That'll be amazing. I hope someone calls us out as well. <laughs> Thank you so much, mate. Take Thank care. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there we have it. Thank you for listening in. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be greatly appreciated if you could drop us a review on your podcast app of choice. Any feedback you've got, please send it over via social media and don't hesitate to tell us what you would like to hear more of. I'm AT. This has been the Bulldog Gear podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys.